This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharuddin. You're still tuned into the show that explores the narratives of iconic landmarks and places in the Klang Valley. We're going to start 2024's edition of this segment by uncovering new villages. So it's good to begin the year with a reflection of sorts and with that spirit in mind, we've decided to reflect on new villages and how this legacy left behind by the British has indirectly influenced our social fabric. For the uninitiated, new villages were internment camps that were created by the British to segregate and isolate communities from the threat and influence of the communists. There were many areas that were converted to become new villages across Malaysia. The more notable ones in the Klang Valley include areas in Jinjang and Seri Kembangan, among many others. As always, we were joined by Elizabeth Cardosa and she'll take us through the history of new villages in Malaysia. What we're talking about today are what is generally seen as mostly Chinese new villages, but they're not all Chinese. The new villages, I think that, you know, we have to go back to the late 1940s, 1950 to 19, between 1948, 1960, thereabouts, and to a period that we in Malaysia refer to as the emergency on the peninsula where following um, the end of uh, the Japanese occupation and the British administration coming back in and in the lead up to uh, independence, uh, there was this period of conflict with, um, and it really depends on who you're looking at it, whose perspective you're looking at it from. So historically, you know, some people will say, well, it was a movement that was to fight for independence. It was related to uh, self-government of, of millions from the British colonial administration. Um, that That's one side. And there are some other people who see it as um, a communist insurgency um, where to deprive, shall we say, the Malayan of um, a democratic uh, um, life or or po- po- political government system. So so you know that and that we won't go into. But in that period, because of this conflict, um, this man called General Harold Briggs came up with what he called the Briggs Plan, um, which was to relocate um, mostly rural. Uh, people from rural settlements, farms and other areas, who into um, a gated <laughs> community because they, they would be relocated from, let's say, you know, you live in a, an area, a larger area, let's say, in whether it's in Johor and Selangor and Para, mostly affecting the uh, west coast of the peninsula and the states going from um, well, Penang, Kedah, not so much um, Penang, Perak, a lot, uh, Selangor, Negeri Sembilan, Johor, Malacca, um, a little bit in Kelantan and in Pahang, but on this side, so to speak, the western side of the main range of the Titiwansa range. So so you, there, is, there is a sort of a natural geographic divide. And um, in Selangor, there were something like 70 over um, new villages 
in Selangor State. I think there were something like 450 um, different settlements uh, that were new villages that were created. And so I think most people think of them as Chinese new villages, but they were not. They were mainly Chinese. I think, you know, historical records show they were like 90% Chinese. But even within those Chinese new villages, there would be others in there. There would be Malays and there would be Indians. Um, so they were they were smaller settled, they were smaller groups or or new villages of these smaller, of these other groups, not just Chinese. But in the case of I think when we think about new villages, we always think of oh, Chinese new village, Chinese new village. Actually, new village is just this concept of relocating a groups of people who were considered to be either sympathetic to um, the uh the communist cause or the cause that was fighting for against the British forces, you know, and whichever way you want to look at it. And either sympathetic or supporting, whether it was will uh, willingly or forced to support, whichever way they, they you know, that there was this collaboration. And so in order to break that, BRICS came up with this plan to move everyone. Um, into these villages. Now, originally, actually, they wanted to relocate these Chinese back to China and actually repatriate a lot of people. Um, so in, imagine a current situation where we're looking at immigrants and we're looking at, you know, even people who are considered immigrants, but second, third generation. Do you belong? Don't you belong? Where do you go to? You know, I think that, that it sort of opens quite a few Interesting debates, the social cultural debates and, and questions. But anyway, back to this. So what happened was um, the Malayan, at the time Malayan, because it was before Malaysia, Malayan Chinese Association, which is now the political party MCA. Um, so MCA didn't start off as a political party. MCA started off as a social um, support you know, association to support the Chinese. And in that case, MCA, uh, as the association and leaders of that, intervened. And, uh, you know, which is why the relocations happen within the country as opposed to repatriation. So anyway, so you have these villages set up. And in Selangor, um, people will move mainly from other areas, could be close by, some a bit further, away from that and relocated into um, different areas where they were housed, so to speak, in areas which would be surrounded by a fence uh, with barbed wires on the top, quite tall. So you were kind of like caged, um, interred, you know, so it becomes like an internment camp, except you are not uh, you're not in, in, in chains, so to speak, except your environment is very controlled. Your movements in and out of those environments are very controlled. What you can do with and within the, the settlement and outside the settlement is also kind of controlled. You, you had a few hours, um, you know, you could go out to work. Let's say you're a farmer, you could go out. And your, your farm would not be your vegetable farmer, your rubber tapper. It would be outside of the settlement. So you would have to, 
in a sense, get a bus. You have to go out. You have to work. Then you have to come back before uh, nightfall in in the non-curfew hours. Um, if not, you wouldn't be allowed back in and you weren't allowed to take food out except maybe for your own um, consumption. You weren't. So this was a way of controlling um, supplies getting to the communists because the British wanted to make sure the British administration wanted to manage all of that. So it, in a way, the creation of these new villages was a political, um, you know, had political roots, obviously. Um, and But what we don't even think about new villages nowadays, and we certainly don't associate them with, with Kamukbaru because they kind of have... We don't talk about it, you know. We 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 don't we don't look at because a lot of these new villages, you know, have names, Kampong this or, you know, in in the case of in and around the Klang Valley, I mean, Jinja was a new village. Mm. Um, in PJ, you know, you have, um, in the middle of what is Amman Surya New Development, Kalana Jaya is Kampong Jabaka. That was a new village, and so you don't when you look at all of these places, you don't think of of them as new villages because they are part of the larger um, urban settlement, you know, the suburb or, you know, or the landscape of, of our townships. So Serdan, there was Serdan New Village and you now, it's now been renamed Sri Kambangan. And when we look at Ampang Town, there was a new village next to Ampang Town. Um, and so you have a situation where when you relocated these groups of people as well, these different communities, they were not necessarily, yes, so they were all Chinese, yes, but actually they may come from different backgrounds. So you might have the Cantonese or the Hokkien or the Hakka, and they would be, they would speak a different dialect. Um, they would have different deities maybe that they worship. They would have different uh, um, building wise. Their, their their temples would be slightly different. Would architecturally um, would reflect them, you know. And so, if you are not familiar, you just think, oh, all Chinese, everybody being the same, and it was sort of like almost a monoculture, mm. which it was. Wait, so when, when they were relocated to these new villages, um, were the houses there already built for them or did they have to somehow, I guess, rebuild their own? Had, they had to build their own houses. And oh. if they were lucky, they were given a couple of planks of wood to start a building. Uh, if they were lucky, they were given enough time to dismantle um, parts of their house to be brought along with them. Um but they basically had to start from scratch, lah. Um, you know, in the in when it first started, I mean, people weren't given that 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 those resources. So imagine, you know, you come with your family, your children. Let's say your children are young, um, and you are taken away from what you're familiar with, and you are taken away from your source of livelihood and you're put in a place which is not your normal 
place and you have no structure, you have no house, you have no shelter, you have no... It, it must have been really, really... It was extremely difficult, I think. Mm. I'm sure. And, um, but we, again, you know, historically, we kind of like don't think about these things. I mean, we, we the modern Malaysian, if we haven't actually um, lived through it or had much experience of it. Mm. Um, and I think that nowadays, younger Malaysians who might have grown up in areas which were either close to or within what were new villages, uh, because new villages got dismantled by the, you know, the 1960s at the end of the emergency, then they kind of like got dismantled, meaning the tenants with the barbed wire got taken down. Lah. But you still had your, 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 your areas demarcated, right? But the, the planning wasn't such that, you know, you, you didn't have, like now when we look at housing and at planning and at new um, new suburbs, there's always a certain roadway and a certain back from the road and your houses and your lots are fairly regular in size. In new villages, you didn't have any of that. You are just given a piece of land. You, you mark it out and your roads are narrower. You don't have that much of a setback. You um, have wells, which are common for water. You have to share your resources because everybody's in it together and everybody has the same type of pressure, but you weren't part of the same community. You were not Jiran, you know, and you were not, um, you were not only not neighbors, you were not from the same family group or even the extended family. So you have to, under that pressure, really come together or, or collapse. So I think that, that the resilience of, of people at that time, you know, who were, had to face these challenges, you almost, I mean, it's completely um, amazing, you know, to our modern mind, um, these kinds of challenges that, that they would have had to face. And that's not something I think we generally recognize mm. on the whole society. Yeah. How did the British go about identifying, I guess, spots or places for these villages, especially in Klang Valley? Like, like did they actually do a bit of research in terms of like identifying that, oh, okay, if you were to relocate these communities into this X, Y, and Z, they will most likely be... I, I don't really haven't done that much study on your villages, but I think that it was basically, you wanted to move people away from certain areas and move them into other areas which were... So there was this whole business of black and white. An area that was considered black was closer to maybe the forest, for you know, a, a, um, a forested area, Beluka, you know, under with this undergrowth, where, where there is more rural environment, where there are um, estates where the communists could hide, for example, the you know, the, the other side, right? Um, two areas which were closer to towns or townships or um, other settlements which were not seen as uh, where, where the people who were living there were urbanized or whatever and were not seen as sympathizers or supporters of this alternative uh, force 
that was fighting for, you know, uh, from the point of view of Malaysian Communist Party for independence mm-hmm. of Malaya from the British and from the British, from the communists, because communism is uh, completely uh, bad and wrong, um, you know, through uh, the British administration and and uh, seen as the, you know, the opposite of uh, a democratic solution to life. That was our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa, walking us through the history behind new villages. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharuddin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharuddin. Joining me on the show today is our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa, and we've been talking about new villages. We've laid out the foundation of how they came to be and what life was like for the communities living in these new villages. We're going to pick up from where we left off. It was a confined area. You were confined for, you know, 12 hours of the day at least, you know, and you were let out uh, with permission, uh, you know, between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., that kind of thing. Or there might be a longer curfew. There would be curfews uh, if they felt that that they wanted, you know, the, the administrator, that means the person who wields the power, you know, felt that, oh, maybe you are, you, the village, has been supporting this group who seemed to have gotten away with um, reading, for example, or whatever, you know, and then and then you would be, um, you could be, uh, your curfews could be extended. You don't have food. You, you to get rice, you have to have a ration card. Mm. Uh, it isn't that you were free to trade on your own. Everything was controlled and managed, and what evidence we see of new villages today is very often when you're going, you know, in, in a town or you're on one of the back roads or even in your high, and you see a gateway, like a, 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 a Pintagurba, and it will have the name of a town or a village there, and you go through and there's no, there's no paga, there's no gate, there's no uh, fence, mm. but you see a Pintagurba and you, those are those are probably remnants of new villages. Mm-hmm. And the other day I was going to Suramban and we were on, uh, you know, the road from Nilai to, to I wasn't going to Suramban, I was going to Manaka, but from the road from Nilai to Labu on the back road. And we saw several of these because there were, those would have been where the new villages were located. And they are now seen as, you know, whether they're seen as um, towns or campo or whatever, this, this, this Pintugurba with the name of a town or a name of a place, a name of a campo will, will probably have marked out the entrance um, to a new village. So inside there, when you go inside there and you look at the settlement inside, you will see that maybe the roads are not quite what we're used to in a more regulated environment, in a more sort of urban designed, you know, uh, environment. The houses are a scattering of 
more modern houses, but maybe some of the older, some of timber houses still are partially timber houses. The lots are maybe smaller and closer together um, than we are used to, but they will be individual, um, individual freestanding houses. Um, and and uh, maybe there will be older people living there. Um, and that would, these are all kind of like little indicators, a little signs that you're probably in what would have been a new village from the 1950s. Mm. I did drive around Jinjiang the other day just to see for myself what it looks like. And I think, um, obviously, it's, it's no longer a village per se, but I did drive around some areas and I can see some old houses that are, you would argue, the remnants of old villages, you know? Yeah. So so there is that, that, that I guess, element, I suppose. I, I can see where you're coming from in terms of that. I'm um, going back to the, I guess, communities there when they were living in these new villages. Life sounds very tough there. Um, did the authorities then constantly interrogate or, I guess, to a certain extent, were they very suspicious of the people apart from, I guess, controlling them in that, I in that manner? Sure. I, I mean, if you, if you read historical accounts, yes, I mean, there was... And again, it depends on who's writing it, right? Uh, but, you know, if you read historical researchers, you know, yes, it was. There were, there would have been times when, when the challenge was to the, you know, I mean, why are you doing this? What are you doing? You know, you, you, it's, you live in a police state, so to speak. The, the, the town next to you, maybe three miles, five miles, or, you know, five kilometers down away from you, People are free to move around and to do, you know, and to operate as they normally would. But you are not, you are, you are confined. Um, and so, and your ability to move around and to be free, so to speak, to have any form of freedom is controlled by the police, is controlled by uh, the authority who, who, the administration who is there. And it was the MCA, I think, that, you know, in those initial days, in those initial years, decades, um, were the association, the, the people who were leading MCA, people like Tan Cheng Lo, um, who were there to look after the welfare of the Chinese as a whole. And... And so as a social association, as, you know, for community support, it's actually really quite interesting to, to know that about MCA roots. Because we think MCA, we think political party. You know what I mean? Mm. We don't think MCA, oh, community, social, you mean their roots are in this time? You know, because they were a Malayan Chinese association, they were not a, a political alliance. Mm. Um, and we were there so it's like for welfare you know and you don't think about it in, in today's um, world a political world we don't think about MCA in that way do we yeah. at least I don't I mean I know it intellectually but I don't see it um, although although you will see that um, interestingly a year ago I think it was in January Last year, Selangor initiated, you know, a redevelopment and, 
enhancement and beautification of um, many, many new villages in um, the state of Selangor mm. so that it would, and they wanted to pump in money for tourism. Yeah. To, to bring tourists in. Um, I, I don't know what's happened to that program, but I know that they did that. And I know they've had different kinds of like photography exhibitions and promotions of that. But the little community groups, the community groups from within this have done their own, like, you know, uh, museums in Sri Kambangan, a community group, because that was a new village, have got together and they have um, put together a museum, a, a museum highlighting and showcasing um, the artifacts, the things that they did. They have in there what was a typical um, house-like, you know, um, they have the kinds of artifacts and tools and, and equipment that um, they used to have the, the kind of lifestyle. Um, and that was, that is there is in a sense as an aid memoir. These, these are our roots. This is where we came from. This is the reason why we are here. Um, we are not just this modern um, suburb called Sri Kambangan. And it's located within a local uh, Chinese primary school. So it still has that lingering community link. Um, and these, are, these initiatives are all done by locals, you know, but from, from within. Um, you see the Goping Museum, a, a gallery, you know, is, is, is actually, you know, initiated by, let's say, someone who's maybe been successful in business, you know. And then, but comes from a new village route and wants to, to look back at there and to remember um, where they came from because their success is an affirmation of their work or their ethics or their life, despite the odds. Yeah, I was recently in, in um, Bentong as well. You know, there is a gallery. And um, again, it is set up by a philanthropic a philanthropist family, philanthropic family, but um, around Bentong town, uh, just just past the town, um, there are several new villages surrounding that. Mm. So it, it's it's really it is really for me. It's a question of. Not to be romantic, because it was not romantic. I don't think living in a village was by any means romantic. Um, how do you, you know, what do you make of it? Um, but for, for yeah, the reason why I said, you know, it would be interesting to, to just look at it. Because, because I think we should look around and think that, no, not all towns were towns. Because you go to Ampang Town, and Ampang Town now looks very big. So you have the 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 shop houses and all of that, but just just next to it, you just turn on the street and it's a new it's the remnants of a new village because of the way the character of the place and the hither titherness of of the buildings and the houses and the shops and all of that and how they associate and the fact that um they speak different languages and different dialects. 
And when I look at that, I go, oh, that's a Cantonese-style temple. Oh, that's a Hokkien-style temple. And they're next to each other. You know, um, just down the street from each other. So you would have thought that they would, you know, have their religious uh, allegiances in the same temple, but they don't because their roots are different. Mm. Um, when did the... I guess the stringent approach towards the new villages stopped. Was it after the British left or even after that? Because yeah, the Marine emergency was... It was after the emergency. After the emergency, right? Yeah. Well, it was after the emergency. So the British had, um, so to speak, given up, up their um, uh, dominance, their administration in '57, uh, right? Mm. But uh, I think the, and the emergency was only uh, to talk to talk in was... was ended 1960 if I'm not mistaken but you know there were pockets even into the 70s and 80s which mm-hmm. were still considered black areas and where to you there were certain controls you know um, which were put in by by the Malayan or Malaysian or police at that time to go in and out of certain areas because they were considered black. Black meaning, um, I remember in and around Guamusang, I remember in Pahang, in, in, in certain parts of Perak, where these areas where you where there were restrictions, and these restrictions were because um, the Communist Party, uh, the Communists, um, so to speak, was still considered to be um, active um, in, in those areas. Hmm. You know, once it's quote unquote over, how did these villages then reintegrate into the contemporary? Uh, well, I uh, think once once your fences well, once your once your fences go down, um, you know that that that's a liberation. Um, once you don't have to be regulated by curfew hours, that's a liberation, and I think that for. Some part people went back to where they originally came from. Um, some for some part, if maybe if they still had family living in those areas, but I think that for most part, um, people just continued because they had their little house and a little patch there, and and they had established. You know, by that time, you know, you're talking about at least a whole you know generation or more. Um, having grown up in an area. So if you move, if you are moved and you're an eight-year-old child, let's say, um, to a new village in 1950 and, you know, by the mid-1960s, you are in your 20s, you have gone to school, you have established yourself, your family is there, kind of like Stela. Um, because you have your so the 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 land titles and all of that have had they I think MCA have certainly worked at and 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 the government of Malaysia yeah um has certainly worked at regularizing all of this you know the titles of land to make sure that you have your property and so that that although you were forced to relocate you still have that you know, 2,000 uh, square foot area where your house is. Uh. 
um, that you can build and and have as your own, so that 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 is your ownership of it, you know. And and they've had to regularize, and they've had years and years. And I think most of the land title issues have been regularized, and I know that even up to today, not a hundred percent have been regularized. That this is a a a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the forcible relocation has given you you if you were if you your family were relocated um a place where you then have established new roots and you might possibly stay there but someone coming in from the outside has absolutely no idea uh that this was like Jinjiang right i i moved from i don't know i moved from the lo- Intan to KL and I happened to be working in Selayang and I happened to find a house in Jinjang, you know, to live in. I don't know anything about the roots to it. Um, so I'm in Jinjang. Lah. But Jinjang was one of the largest new village settlements um, in Malaya at that time when it was first established. Hmm. You know, so you have this whole... I'm not saying, like I said, it, it's not about being romantic about it, but it's actually about recognizing these that that these places and these areas uh, came about through different means, through different histories, you know, through different circumstances. I think. Mm. Um, were there any stigmas attached to these places or people from these? Places, oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm pretty sure there were a lot of stigma attached to it because, you know, that, that you, don't, you don't say, oh, I'm from a new village. Not, not many people. Yeah, no. Nowadays, maybe a few more acknowledge that. Um, his, you know, uh, researchers and academics. And, but uh, the whole notion of new village equals communist, sympathizer equals bad, you know, that kind of thing equals not to be trusted. That, that's the kind of stigma that, that continues through life, you know, and it's not about new village only. Uh, you come from this kampong, oh, you are not sophisticated because you're not a burn, you know, that kind of thing. Or you come from this type of school, oh, you're not, you know, it, it has stigmas carry whichever way you look at it. But um, the, the fact of the matter is, I, I think that nowadays when you look at it, because the boundaries between a new village and the settlement, they have all merged into each other, right? Mm. You get these edges which are pretty, I'm not so much unclear as maybe less, less strict or less, less obvious. Um, you get these boundaries and so things happen, I think, on the periphery. Uh, but now, the stigma of a new village doesn't really exist anymore because, well, um, they they don't you know that that the rationale has gone. It, it's past and gone. What I what I know happens is that oh, um, this particular area, like I know some some people will say, oh, we cannot go there because um, it was a Chinese village and. Uh, um, in this area, there are a lot of dogs, and I'm afraid of dogs, for example. Um, and uh, and dogs running free, like in PJ, you can't let your dog out without a license, right? You know, that kind of thing. Um, so the kind of regulation 
maybe slightly different or but in a new village what uh, most people will say is well we know our neighbors we're kind of this is our backyard lah you know we know it's like in a kampung right you grew up you know in a village in a not village meaning in a community and everybody in the community knew each other and they know who your parents are they know who your grandparents are and so when somebody new comes in to the village or to that neighborhood, even your neighborhood, I mean, on my street, when there's a new person on the block, we kind of look and say, oh, they're new. Oh, we haven't seen them before. You know, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. So it's, it's because you, you tend to know people within your, your neighborhood and in a new village, you know, the families, especially those who grew up together in those challenging um periods, times would definitely have that. So stigma is always from the outside. It's always imposed. Um, and I don't think that that in a sense it ought to exist. It probably does, but you know, I mean we, we our bias always carries no matter what we are. We're, 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 you know, human being, we have our biases. Mm. Um, but I think that I mean, I don't have, I like this notion of a new, not notion of a new village, but there are a couple of new villages like, like you know, Sanak South, for example, new village, um, which is in a sense almost surrounded by highways. And yet the village, um, fast moving highways, which go all around it. And yet the village itself, if you go into it, is has got a sense of, you 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 can feel um, the sense of the past. You can feel what it was possibly like without the without the fence lah. Okay, but you can feel the the character of a neighborhood. You can feel the more sort of organic, more relaxed um, groups of an area. Mm. Uh, and but you as a stranger. As an outsider coming in, you might be looked upon as well with what you're doing here, you know? Yeah. Right? So it, it, it cuts both ways, you know? The bias cuts both ways. Mm. How should we go about, I guess, thinking about new villages in this day and age? Especially because, I mean, you did say that, I mean, you don't want to over-romanticize it as well. But at the same time, it's good to remember the past. But for some... It's, it's a traumatic past, right? If you think about it, yeah. especially if they, right. they came yeah. from new villages, right? So, and also, there's also that this element of like, I guess to a certain extent, because it is a form of segregation of sorts. So, so I think one way or another, you you don't want to re- remember it so much or reminisce about it so much because it, it might not be, I guess, the most ideal way of building a society, I suppose. So how should, I guess, we go about reflecting on, on new villages? Well, it's exactly as you've said. I mean, is segregation a right thing? You know, is is um, internment a right? And so learning and and understanding what these negative things have done to society, to community, to ourselves, we, if we can embrace those, um, not in a positive spirit, but learn from them, then maybe we would become more, not so much welcoming, but more open to difference. Um, and while recognizing that, that sure. So, 
So the new villages were 90% Chinese and they have remained majority Chinese. It's the same as, you know, certain areas of um, uh, land where you look at certain neighborhoods and certain towns or certain um, areas, which is Malay reserve land. And you go, and you, as long as you can understand it, you can then see and understand that the, these, that we are, as a nation, we are made up of these different cultural roots, groups. And I think that's brilliant that we can live in a sense cheap, but we don't have to live. I don't have to live in your pocket. You don't have to live in my pocket. You know, but we can talk. We can sit in the same place. We can sit together. We can, you know, be in the same school. We can interact with each other and and. And there is a certain level of, I'm not going to say tolerance, because tolerance is not, I think respect is a better word. You know, respect for difference, respect for history, and to understand that these are things that have happened and there's nothing we can do to change it, but we can use that to move forward. And we can use that in terms of, of future proofing ourselves against bias against segregation against these kinds of of really um you know internment against this this i am better than you or you know what you're doing is wrong and therefore i am in control and so for us to, to me those are my lessons out of it You've been tuning in to I Love KL and that was our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa talking about new villages. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store. You can also find this episode and many others on Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on X at BFM Radio. My name is Anif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Stay safe and join us again next week only on BFM 89.9 The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9 The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.